0: Well, hello, church family, men, women, and children. So glad to have you with us this morning, all of you online. Thanks for joining us wherever you are in the world. You know, two of the best days of my life were certainly the days that my two children were born. I was privileged enough to be in the room at the time. And first of all, I'm so glad I'm a man. I'm just going to say it. You know what I'm saying? I've never been more proud of my wife. She's so strong. But just if you've ever experienced that, you know just how exciting it is. And how emotional it is to welcome new life into this world. It's just magical. It's, I mean, come on, it's miraculous, isn't it? It's amazing to welcome new life into the world. Well, beloved, today we're going we're to look at a passage of scripture where we're going to look at what I think is, is probably the most miraculous and special new birth in the history of the world. And it's the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you. May I please find in your Bibles Acts chapter 2, if you would, or if you'd like to use the, your handheld or tablet, just go to the Version app, click on more events, and find our church. All the verses we're going to look at today will be right in the palm of your hand right there, all right? But let me set up this passage today by going back a little bit in history, because Christ came, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for our sins, he was buried, and then children, what happened on the third day? That's right. He rose from the dead. But then did you know he actually hung out for a little while longer after that on the earth for like 40 days. And then in Acts chapter one, it records that Jesus went back up into heaven. Then at that time, he ascended back up into heaven at the right hand of the father. And so then all of his uh, disciples, there's like 120 of them who are gathered together in this upper room. And they're kind of wondering, man, what do we do now? What's going to happen now? Then on this day, it's called Pentecost. Pentecost, you see, in the Old Testament, God had set up these feasts for his people to follow, all right? And Pentecost is one of those feasts. It's the day when they celebrated the spring harvest. So on that very day where they're celebrating the abundance of all that God has given them, God chooses to send his spirit from heaven onto and into those 120 uh, faithful believers in that upper room. And they begin preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the, the New Testament word is the word we get our word dialect from in their own language, in their own dialect. You could even translate that in their own voice. And so all the thousands upon thousands of people who gathered from all over the world to celebrate this feast by God's command are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's new life in him. And so how do the people respond? Now you're ready. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Here we go. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what are we to do? Hey man, that's when you know you've heard a good sermon because the people say, so what now what? See, I didn't come up with that. That's not original. I borrowed that from the apostle Peter. All right. So this is so what now what? But did you notice that they were pierced to the heart by this gospel message? So, This word pierced, it means to sting, or where are the horse people at? If you like horses or you're a horse person, where are you at? Parsons Parker, we're the cutting horse capital of the world, all you horse people. There you are. Okay, all you horse people. That word pierced right there, the the author Homer used it to describe what a horse does when it's galloping and digging into the earth. The denting in the earth, what a horse hoof does, that's this word. So God's spirit, God's truth was digging into the hearts of the people, and now they're responding. They've heard the gospel, Peter, what do we do? so what now what? And his answer is verse 38. Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So, what's the right response to hearing the gospel? Be saved from this perverse generation. If you're new to church, you maybe have heard us talk about being saved. When we use the word being saved, what we're talking about, that word means simply to be rescued. All right, And then it says, to be rescued from this perverse generation. That word perverse is the word we get our word scoliosis from, the curvature of the spine. When your spine's not straight, it's curved. That's scoliosis. That's this word. And so it means to be rescued from this crooked generation. So this image is then that, that you and I, because of our sin, we're in this raging, roaring, rapid, meandering river, and we don't have a life raft, we don't have a life vest, and we have no hope of saving ourselves but we can be saved. Remember from high school English class? That's passive voice. Remember what that means? Someone else is doing the primary action. Who's that? Come on, this is church. This is an easy answer. (laughs) Come on, it's Jesus. And so he's doing the primary action. He can save you, but you can't save yourself. That's why it says, be saved. Invite the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue you and save you because he can and you can't. That's the Bible message be saved. So, okay, Pastor Sherm, okay, Apostle Peter, how am I saved? Let's go back. He said, verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So, let's talk about that. Okay, repentance and baptism. You could say as far as our participation in our our salvation, that's kind of like the first step and the last step, if you will, So the first step is repentance. This makes sense. To repent literally means to change your mind, but it involves just this this, this turning uh, of your mind and of your heart and of your will and ultimately of your action, all right? Because let's just be honest, we're sort of born to follow ourselves. We have the selfish desire, all of us do, all right? Bible calls it our sinful nature and we want to follow ourselves. We do what we want to do, but in order for us to follow Jesus, we have to turn from following ourselves and go follow him that's why repentance is the first step you jesus said if anyone would come after me he must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me that's repentance and then god who is the captain of our salvation from the beginning to end saves us and rescues us and we get to the end and now there's baptism So are are you saved by the act of baptism in and of itself? No, because you look at the rest of the Bible, that's not what the rest of the Bible teaches. But what our baptism is, the physical act of baptism, is simply your profession of faith, and it it sort of demonstrates the sincerity of your faith that you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you are personally identifying with him, and you are committing to follow him the rest of your life. And so by the sincerity of your faith by which you are saved, that's why you get baptized. It's sort of the, the last... Um, act of obedience in the whole salvation package. And if you would notice, please, come on, be a good Bible student. In verse 38, this is interesting, Peter said, repent. Now, that's in the plural. That means all y'all, okay? All y'all repent. But then it says, notice, and each of you be baptized. That's singular. So what is he saying? That your baptism is a personal decision. You get to personally decide if you're going to repent and follow Jesus Christ. It is a personal decision. And I just want to challenge you as your brother, if you've never taken that step of faith and demonstration of the sincerity of your faith by which you're saved, we're having baptism in three weeks. Come see me, one of the other pastors. We'd love to talk to you about that. And then did you notice, since we have all the children here, hey, children, check this out. Look at Verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children. Hey, children, I get to share, listen to Pastor Sherm, all the children. The message of this book, that you can have new life and eternal life and the forgiveness of your sin and your best friend can be Jesus and your Savior can be Jesus and you can know that you're going to spend eternity with him, this promise is for you. Your parents and I, your grandparents and I, this is the most important thing we get to pass on to you. All the children, listen to me. This is for you. Bible says so. This promise is for you and your children. And then please notice there's one more group of people, for all who are far away. I think God gave us this passage because, uh, because somebody this morning is feeling far away from God. It may be you out there in the world or maybe somebody in this room. Somebody's feeling far away from God. And I just want to remind you, all this is still for you. You can't do anything to run far enough where God's strong arm can't reach you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. This promise is still for you. It's for you. Okay. So repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the message. So what do they do? Verse 41. So then... Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Wow, that's a big baby. (laughs) On the first day of the church, that's a big baby. So I thought, what are big babies in this world? So children, do you know what the largest land animal is? It's an elephant. And so when an elephant has a baby, that baby elephant weighs 200 pounds. That's a little bit more than what Pastor Sherm weighs. Not much, but I'm working on it. All right? Just think refrigerator, all right? When an elephant gives birth, it gives birth to a refrigerator. That's a big baby. But that's nothing compared to what's the largest animal or mammal in the world? Do you know, children? That's right, a blue whale. Good job. When a blue whale gives birth to a baby, that baby weighs 3,000 pounds. That's like giving birth to an (laughs) F-250. And all the mothers in the room said, ow, ow. Well, just like blue whale gives birth to a 3,000-pound baby, the Holy Spirit gave birth to 3,000 souls. New life. That's church. New life has come. Church has come. And so what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is talk about what did they do? I'm just really curious to know. The Holy Spirit's come. Now we've got 3,120 souls with new life in it. How do, how do we know that? They counted. Some people, you know, make fun or get upset about churches that count. Don't be too upset. We've been doing it since day one, all right? There are 3,120 souls that have new life, eternal life in them, and I'm just kind of curious to know, what did they do? Almost instinctively now as people filled with the Spirit, what did they do? What were the, In other words, what were the first habits of the church? Well, it's all wrapped up for us in one verse. Would you look at this one verse with me? This is it, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's it. Please notice, they were continually devoting themselves. In other words, these were their habits. This was their daily experience. This wasn't their... Once a week on a Sunday morning experience, this wasn't their once-a-month experience. This was their day-by-day experience, continually devoting themselves. These were their habits. And y'all, habits are important, like Ralph Waldo Emerson said. Your habits are important. He said, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. May I just stop here and ask you a personal question? What are your habits? What are your habits? What's something that you just do every day as a habit? My mentor and I will get together every year and do an evaluative uh, test where he'll have me make three columns. And at the top of each column, it says start, stop, and stay the course. And we're evaluating my habits. What are the good habits, Sherm, that you need to start doing? What are the bad habits, Sherm, you need to stop doing? And then what are the good habits that you need to keep on doing? May I challenge you to do the same thing? What are your habits? I'd like to look at two habits of the early church and glean from them, okay? Go back, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves, first, to the apostles' teaching. I'm calling that the study and submission to God's truth. Remember, at this time, they didn't have the Bible complete. They didn't have the New Testament. They had the apostles filled with the Spirit teaching God's truth. Fortunately, they wrote it down for us. Now we have what we call the canon of Scripture. All right, so this is study and submission to God's truth. They were devoted to that on a daily basis. And this is significant. May I remind you, beloved? Can I just say it? This book is our book. May I remind you? This book is our book. And there are only two times of the day where you need to be thinking about it day and night. How do, I, how do I know? Psalm 1, the very first psalm, very first verse. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the uh, path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And here it is. On his law, he meditates when? Day and night. This book is our book. This is the word of God. When God has spoken about a matter, case closed. Do not let the media dictate your doctrine. Do not let them manipulate your morals. We get our doctrine, our morals, our beliefs, our values, our perspectives, our identity from this book. Don't let anybody else tell you so. This book is our book. When God has spoken about a matter, it's done. This is the word of God. And we still, God still wants us from the very first day to adopt this habit of being about his word daily. Daily. So may I just challenge you personally. This is habit number one from day number one of the church. Are you in the personal habit of spending time in God's word daily? I want to challenge you. Join me. I'll commit with you. Let's commit together to spend time daily in the word of God. Will you join me? I'm challenging you. You and me both, you can keep me accountable. This is a personal habit of the church. First day, first habit, study and submission to the word of God. Are you with me? Okay, this book is our book. Secondly, what's the second habit? Fellowship. Fellowship. What does that mean? Well, some of you know this word is, uh, the Greek word is koinonia. comes from the word meaning common. In other words, it's sharing in common. It's partnership. It's cooperation. It's collaboration. It's participation. In other words, like uh, John MacArthur says, church is not a spectator sport. We're all in this together, doing life together. Like Eric talked about last week. You remember he had the tether ball up here? If you were here, check it out, beloved. We are tethered together, like it or not. We're in this together. We're, we're to do life together. Uh, well, Pastor, what does this mean? All right, well, if you'll just read down in your Bibles with me, it, it, get, it explains to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Okay, what does that mean? Look at verse 46. It says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I love that. So from the very beginning of the church, please notice, it's day by day. Day by day, and with each passing moment. For the previous generation, or for my generation, it's day by day. Day by day. Who's with me? Come on, flower power people. Okay. Day by day. Continuing with one mind in the temple. So there's a place and a time for big church. But please notice, and uh, breaking bread from house to house. That is also church. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. I'm so glad that God set it up where you and I get to do life together and eat. Hallelujah. Who likes to eat? We can, we can do life together then. Okay with gladness and sincerity of heart. What they would often do, by the way, beloved, they would have what they call a love feast, where they'd have a meal, and at the end, they would often follow it up by having communion together. They did this daily. That's the other habit of the church, is fellowship. And and this fellowship, my beloved, it's not just, it's not about how disappointing the Cowboys are going to be this year, all right? It's, It's to and from and about Jesus. May I just remind you, 1 John 1, 3 says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So our fellowship then, true biblical Christian fellowship then, is really an overflow. You spend time with God. You devote yourselves personally to the study and submission of God's word. You walk with Jesus. You fellowship with him through his Holy Spirit. And then, as an overflow, we share life together. Do life together. That's fellowship. And it is hugely important. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But if our country continues to go in this direction of increasing antagonism against the church, I'm just going to say it. Doing life from house to house, breaking bread together, is going to become increasingly important. Ask the church in China. That's how they grew. Or you could ask Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, uh, really articulate, astute man, writer, teacher. Well, he was uh, executed in April of 1945 by Heinrich Himmler, who was uh, Hitler's executioner. But two years before he was executed, they arrested him. And what they did is they took him from prison to prison to prison to prison. They moved him around. And by the end of his life, his testimony was that because they moved him from prison to prison to prison to prison, he had lost contact with his family, he lost contact with his church, he lost contact with the outside world, he lost contact with brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here was his testimony at the end of his life. The Germans may have taken my freedom, they may have deprived me of food, but the most painful loss of my life is that they deprived me of fellowship. Fellowship. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's recapture the wonder and the value of breaking bread together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellowship. Okay. This is what Chris was talking about earlier in announcements when he talked about Connect Sunday. If you don't have those kind of relationships with people where you can go from house to house and break bread and have fellowship together, that's what Connect Sunday is all about. That's next Sunday. So check that out. Okay. First, they devoted themselves to fellowship by the breaking of bread. And then secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship by prayer. By prayer. So what are we talking about here, Pastor Sherm? Well, prayer as a part of fellowship is a little different. You know, there are different kinds of prayers in the Bible, okay? Different kinds of prayers. There's, there's the kind of prayer that Jesus taught us to have in Matthew 6 in the greatest sermon in the history of the world where he said, you know, when you pray out in public, don't keep babbling like the pagans do. Go into your private room, right, and pray to your heavenly Father in secret and your Father who hears your heart uh, will, will hear your prayers, Right? And so this is like like that movie War Room. This is your war room prayer life where it's just you and God, all right? Private time, you and God. This prayer is a little different. We call this intercessory prayer. This is when we're praying for one another, praying in a group, praying for one another, right? Different kind of prayer. Now, let's just be, can we just be honest? Oftentimes, when we're having intercessory prayer for one another, the primary issue is physical health, okay? And right now, with everybody being sick, I get that, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But if I may, as Pastor Sherm, I would like for the Apostle John and his words really to guide the intercessory prayer life of our church, where it's this. Here's, Here's what he said in his epistle. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Nothing wrong with that. But he adds, just as your soul prospers. So as we pray for one another, listen, this is definitely my heart for you. If you have a business, I pray that you prosper. If you have a ministry, I pray that you prosper. We're building the same kingdom. In your home, I pray that you prosper. In your education, I pray that you pros- I want you to prosper in all things, and I want you to be in good health. I've been praying for people's health a lot lately. I pray you're in good health. I pray God keeps you in good health and protects you. But also, I'm praying for your soul. I care about your inside just as much as your outside. And that's how I'd like for us to pray, for each other's souls, for our insides, not just our outsides. Because remember, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So I'm praying for you as you go down that line because, can I just say it, Jesus didn't promise you a happy, healthy life all the time. I'm sorry you didn't come to Joel Olstein's church today. Hard times will come. Difficulties will come. Challenges will come. Persecution will come. Welcome to Trinity Bible Church, all right? But we know that our suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. That's why he allows it, because he's not just the author, he's the finisher of your faith, and he cares about the condition of your soul, and he's trying to mature you more into the likeness of Christ. So let's pray for each other that way as well. Are you with me? All right. Uh, so just to close, um, for my kids' birthdays, back when our kids were home, we would watch their, their videos of their, of their birth and the early years of their life. And uh, we did that every birthday as they were growing up. And so every year on their birthday, we'd get out those old videos. We had to convert them from VHS. I know we're dating ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And we would watch their videos of when they were little, and it would just... It was the best few hours of our year, because it would just rekindle just the joy and the magic and the mystery and the miracle and the wonder of God bringing new life into our family and into this world. And I really view Acts chapter two like this new birth video. And I pray that as we've watched this new birth video of the church, that you've been rekindled in the magic and the mystery and the wonder of being part of the church, of sharing life together. So let us continue in the spirit of the first believers from the first day with the first habits of devoting ourselves daily to the study and submission of God's word and to the fellowship. Are you with me? All right, let's pray. So indeed, Heavenly Father, I pray for every member of our church family that they would prosper in all things. I pray for our children, our students, that they would prosper in their school. I pray for all the teachers, that they would prosper in their teaching. I pray for all our workers, that they would prosper in their work. I pray for all of our leaders, that they would prosper in their leadership. And Lord, keep us healthy. You know, doctors don't even know what to do right now, but you got this. I mean, you raise the dead, you can heal someone with COVID. This is well within your range. So Lord, for all who are sick in our church, raise them up, I pray. Pray that their health would prosper. And also, I pray for our church family that you would use this time to continue to prosper our souls and to mature us more into the likeness of Christ. We receive the trials with joy, like your scripture says because they're maturing us. They're teaching us to, to say no to the bad habits of this world, no to the bad teaching of this world, the false teaching of this world, and to say yes to Jesus and the sound doctrine of your scriptures. Lord, let us be a church family that does life together, that's tethered together, that's daily devoted to your word and to the fellowship. And that I pray for your great namesake. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.